can't. I can't. I can't. Be In ancient Israel, the the rabbis would would sit and the congregation would stand. So, <laughs> thank God for the context. I guess right. Take your Bible with me to John chapter five. John chapter five. This morning, we're going to look at verses sixteen through twenty nine. I'm going to read these for us. We'll pray together, and then we'll dive into into this together. John chapter five, beginning in verse sixteen, and we'll read through uh, verse twenty nine. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are still a couple Bibles back there. Stand up, go grab one. It's important for you to see the words that I'm about to read in front of you this morning. These are God's words. They're not my words. Uh, they are. Uh, they are vitally important. They're breathed out by God, given to us, the church, so that we might be built up, so that we might uh, go out into the world to proclaim them and to live according to them. John chapter 5, beginning verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show you, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raised the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but He has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's pray. God. This morning, we need you. Lord God, we thank you for the feast that you've laid out before us. God, the feast of your word that we can come to. God, may we be, not be a people who just pick up meager scraps from time to time, but may come to your word ready to be filled with good things. God, in the feast, as we consider even coming to the Lord's table this morning, that we would recognize and that we would realize that Jesus has commanded us to remember and to proclaim his death until he returns. God, we even get a glimpse of what that looks like here in this text this morning. And for that reason, we rejoice. 
God, we look forward to the day where even though some of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room will go into the ground, we look forward to the day when you will call us out. Where we will have a new resurrection body, where we will be men and women, physical, perfect, bodies that do not wear down, bodies that do not ache, bodies that do not break down and decay, but perfect bodies in the way that you've intended that we will live forever in your presence, giving you praise and honor and glory. So God, make this time a time of practice for that. God, would we practice what it looks like to give you honor from this day forward and into eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. One of the most difficult concepts, I'm convinced, for Christians uh, in the 21st century, sort of to wrap our heads around, is the idea of Sabbath, is the idea of Sabbath rest. What do we do with the Sabbath? Now, if you grew up in church and you're familiar with that word, um, you understand that it is reflected in the Ten Commandments. It's reflected in the Fourth Commandment where God's people are told to remember the Sabbath and to set it apart or to keep it holy. But when we get to the 21st century, there's a lot of conversation that's been had about the Sabbath and rest in general, especially for God's people. What does it mean to rest? What does it mean to recover? What does it mean to take a Sabbath? Some Christians in our day and age prescribe strict observance. Others just ignore it altogether. So the question is, when we get to this text, um, so, so in the last couple of weeks, we've been processing through two signs that Jesus did. First, first we saw the sign that Jesus, when Jesus healed the, the official son from a great distance, not even proximate to this, this man's son, he heals him with a word. And, and then we see that faith is established in the hearts of the, hearts of the those who observed. The man in all of his household believed that Jesus was the one who saves. Jesus was the one who redeems. And so when we see that there's a gift given in that passage, and the gift that's given is faith. Faith is a gift. Last week when we considered the first 15 verses in John chapter 5, we saw a healing that took place at the pool called Bethesda. Now, this pool, again, um, there were men and women who were disabled who were spending time uh, around this pool, hoping to jump in and to be healed um, for various reasons. But as time goes on, Jesus, Jesus meets a man there, and with his word, he heals him. The man gets up, he takes up his bed, and he walks, despite not having the use of his legs for 38 long years. Jesus heals this man, and towards the end, he says, that, to the end of that passage, in verse 14, Jesus says to the man, when he encounters him in the temple later, he says, see you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. We see a call to repentance. Repentance, then, is also a gift. We have a gift given of faith at the end of chapter 4, gift of repentance given at the beginning of chapter 5, and now as we make our way through chapter 5, Jesus gives us the gift of rest. The gift of rest. In the history of church, again, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding the idea of Sabbath. And in the 1600s, uh, the Puritan John Owen even remarked that many controversies over the Sabbath have been given little rest. 
um, which is kind of a highbrow joke, but, but it's sort of like give it a rest, right? <laughs> That's what he means. If you don't know what Sabbath means, if you hear and you're like, what is that word? Why do you keep saying that? The word Sabbath literally just means to rest. It literally just means to rest. And for the nation of Israel, the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week set aside for worship. And after creating everything, at the beginning of Genesis, the first book in your Bible, the beginning of Genesis, we're told that God took the seventh day to rest. And then, in the book of Exodus, and again in the book of Deuteronomy, when God gives the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments, which are summaries of the law, and God gives the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments, he refers back to, uh, the, the, fourth, or the fourth commandment refers back to um, the, uh, the, the rest that God takes on the seventh day during the week. In Exodus 20, 8 through 11, this is where the command is spelled out first in Scripture. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, God reminds his people about their deliverance out of the land of Egypt. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Throughout the Old Testament, God continues to remind his people about the importance of the Sabbath, the importance of rest. But again, when we get to the New Testament and when we get into uh, 21 centuries sort of after uh, the ascension of Jesus, what do we do with this? Uh, I'm sure that you've noticed, I hope that you've noticed, this is a, a commercial, um, that we started printing sort of everything on one sheet of paper uh, because there were multiple sheets of paper back there. And so I'm sure you've noticed this uh, out on the table. Um, but one thing that we've wanted to do for a long time, and this was sort of a pre-COVID plan that got shot and it just didn't happen, um, but now is happening, and which I'm excited about, is the fact that uh, we, we have a little section here uh, and one of the inside pages, which is why do we do that? Um, there are a lot of things that happen in congregational worship that might just seem like we do them week after week and 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 that's fine, and you're just like, well, that's just what we do. But we want to communicate that there's actually reasons why we choose to do the things that we do during this time, during this hour and, say, 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. Last week, uh, so if you look at that section this week, if you picked one of these up, you see why do we do that, and there's a little section about the Lord's Supper, which we're going to participate in today. Uh, But if you picked up last week's, you saw a section that just said, why do we gather together on Sunday for congregational worship? Why do we gather together on Sunday for congregational worship? And written here, I'm just going to read this to you because this is going to be helpful as we move through this passage this morning. At the end of the first week of creation, God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as a Sabbath day for rest and worship. 
Since the resurrection of Christ, the church has recognized the first day of the week as the Sabbath day of the new covenant and called it the Lord's Day, because it is the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. On this Lord's Day, we rest from all our work, accepting works of necessity and mercy to joyfully worship God in public with the gathered church and in private with our families. The aim of our gathering is the building up of the church by equipping and encouraging one another to love and good works. So if you're wondering, why do we get together on Sunday? That, that's the summary. That's the summary why we get together on Sunday in this, in this room. Now, when we get to John chapter 5, especially these verses here, 16 through 29, uh, this passage offers us some clear truth about the Sabbath. And I want to unpack some of that this morning. But before we do that, I want to point out something, and we'll talk about this in a moment as well, but I want to point out the fact that this passage is first a declaration about Jesus' deity. Jesus is God. He claims in this instance before the Jews that he is God, and you can see that very clearly in verse 17 when he says, my father is working until now, and I am working. And all throughout the rest of the passage, especially beginning in well, in verse 18, then also we have an explicit observation where, uh, where the Jews are seeking to kill Jesus because he calls God his own father, making himself equal to God. So this passage is, again, first and foremost, a declaration of Jesus' deity, which in our time in John's gospel, which has almost been a year now, um, we have seen him say over and over and over again, Jesus is God. Now, it's quite meaningful for our understanding of all things to understand and recognize the fact that Jesus is God, not just for our understanding of the Sabbath, but again, here, the Sabbath conversation is what sets up or creates a backdrop for uh, Jesus' claim to be God. Again, last week when we considered the healing at the pool called Bethesda, Jesus did that healing on the Sabbath. He did it on on the Sabbath, and uh, the Jews are not pleased. They, they're frustrated, and in verse 10, they don't even acknowledge the healing, and they just attack the man and say, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. The discussion of the Sabbath, though, and the accusation that Jesus was, in the Jews' eyes, breaking it, leads Jesus to say the things that he says, beginning in verse 19. So 16 through 18 operate as this setup for uh, all of these words that Jesus speaks between 19 and 29. So here's what I wanted you to consider with me this morning. We, We mentioned a little bit of this out of the gate, but I want you to consider with me the foundations of the Sabbath. Why is this such a big deal? Why are they so angry? Why are they why are they so why are they so frustrated? Why are they frustrated to the point where they are persecuting Jesus and then seeking all the more to kill him. That, that's pretty drastic action. <laughs> and so the Jews are attempting to, well, first they're persecuting Jesus, and then they're attempting to, and plotting to kill him. So the foundations of the Sabbath, why, why would they see this as such a big deal? And then secondly, how Jesus relates to the Sabbath, and then I want to draw some conclusions for us this morning. Um, some hopefully practical implications for us to live, live by. Um, and then we'll move into our time at the Lord's table. So the foundations of the Sabbath. Here's, 
here's the question. Why are God's people again told to uh, observe the Sabbath? Why are God's people in the Old Testament told to observe the Sabbath? When I mentioned these a moment ago, these two reasons that are tied to historical events. First, the creation of the world. And then second, the deliverance of God's people out of the land of Egypt. And then I want to note, as we talk about those things briefly, I want to note how John 5 connects Jesus' words to those things. So again, first, the the first thing here is that that Sabbath rest is tied to creation. And I read from Exodus 20 a moment ago, but right there at the end, uh, in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in it, and rested on the seventh day. In the passage that we're looking at in John chapter 5, Jesus talks a lot about giving life. If you look down here, you see often, look at verse 21 with me. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus is, the point here is this, Jesus' creative work is ongoing. Jesus' creative work is ongoing. He's actively giving life to those who are spiritually dead. Jesus is actively giving spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. And when he returns, he will give physical life to those who are physically dead to match the spiritual life that they've been given in him. We see that right at the end. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Right? So the Jews were after Jesus because he was, quote, working on the Sabbath in verse 16. He was doing these things on the Sabbath, is what the text says. But Jesus does this in a different way than they anticipated. His work looks very different than the work of any other man. The Jews maybe just regarded Jesus as a man. But again, this passage is intended to communicate to us that Jesus is in fact God. God rested from his work of bringing everything into existence on the seventh day. But here's the difference. God rested from his creative work. Everything was created in days one through six, but on day seven, he rested, but he was not idle. He rested, but he was not idle. God didn't stop upholding the universe. He didn't stop keeping things from descending into chaos that he had just brought into order. God had literally just spoken everything into existence and brought it all into order. He wasn't about to just let it all descend back into total chaos. This, we would say, if you want a word for this, this upholding of all things and keeping things from descending into chaos, this is called, or what we would say, is God's work of providence. God's work of creation was completed at the end of six days. But God's work of providence continued on the seventh by upholding it all. And Jesus appeals to how God the Father rested to determine his own rest. Jesus does the same work that the Father does. He says that. He says, my Father is working until now and I am working. And therefore, Jesus was not violating the Sabbath by healing the man at Bethesda on the Sabbath. Why does the... Why does it matter that the Sabbath is tied to creation? Here's why it matters for us. Because it shows us that the day is holy. 
That there is one day a week that is set apart to worship God. In the Genesis account, God did something markedly different on the seventh day, right? Six days he works in creation and seventh he ceases from that, that work. Day one through six, everything into existence. Day seven is special because he did not bring anything into existence. His acts on day seven were different than his acts on day one through six. Jesus is clear here that he does only what he observes his father doing. The father is continually upholding and ordering everything according to his will. Jesus does the same thing. Jesus does this because he sees, he only does what he sees the father doing. So, first thing here, we see that Sabbath rest is tied to creation, and as a result, Jesus demonstrates to us that Sabbath rest is not idleness. Sabbath rest is active, albeit active in a different way than the remainder of the week. So, put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. The second reason we're told that God's people are told to observe the Sabbath is this. Sabbath rest is tied to redemption. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So, what did Jesus come to earth to do? Jesus came to earth to redeem God's people. He was there to bring about redemption for God's people. Pictured in the Exodus, Jesus delivers God's people from their slavery to sin. In the book of Exodus, God's people are led out of slavery in Egypt by Moses. That's an act of redemption. Jesus does the same thing for us. He leads us out of our slavery to sin and grants us eternal life in him. Verse 24 again. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. If you've passed from death to life, then you have been redeemed. That's what that means. You have been redeemed. The question then we have to ask related to rest is how are God's people, or first we can ask how they were led out of Egypt, but how are we led out of sin and given eternal life? Is it by our work? No. Is it by our best efforts? No. It is a gift. It is an act of grace. The hearing is a gift. The believing is a gift. We hear the words of Jesus and we believe that he is the one who accomplishes everything that we need and that we are transferred, we are redeemed, we are moved from death to life. Redemption is not a wage owed to you. Redemption is is a gift given to you despite what is owed to you. And so we see that Jesus' work is a work of redemption, bringing people out of their spiritual slavery to sin and giving them new life. And if it is God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ who redeems, what is left for us other than to rest and to celebrate the work of God on our behalf? 
So when Deuteronomy, when Moses writes in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, what he does, and he tells them to remember, he tells the nation of Israel to remember the Sabbath day because of what God did by leading them out out of Egypt, we are also told to celebrate God's work on our behalf by setting aside a day to commemorate, to remember, to think about, to rejoice over, to praise the one who accomplished our redemption. So these are the biblical foundations then for Sabbath rest. The second thing I want you to see here in this text in particular is how Jesus relates to the Sabbath. And it's really all just tied up in that understanding that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God. This is the heart of this text. We need to understand just how important the Sabbath is, right? This is not a throwaway day. This is not a throwaway command. It's not just a uh, whatever for, for the people who Jesus came to in the first century. The, the nation of Israel was continually breaking the Sabbath. They were continually ignoring God's gift of rest given to them. This is one of the reasons that is cited for their exile. We have to understand how serious God takes Sabbath to understand how explosive Jesus' words are here. If you just gloss over the Sabbath content in John chapter 5, then what Jesus says doesn't really carry much weight. But Jesus here calls God his own father and makes himself equal to God. And he says the things that the father does, he does as well, mainly to grant eternal life and raise men and up, women up on the last day. And so what Jesus does by healing the man at the pool called Bethesda on the Sabbath is to frustrate the Jews even further. He frustrates them to no end because they go from irritated that he did a few things on the Sabbath to verse 18 when he says in verse 17, my father is working until now and I am working, to verse 18 where they want to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So here's the conclusion I want you to draw from this this text. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the only one who can offer rest. Not only that, but more generally, Jesus is Lord of everything. And we could say that, and we could argue that from this text. But I want you to hear it very clearly this morning. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. There is no rest for you apart from Jesus Christ. I'm not just talking about rest from your works to try to achieve salvation for yourself. I'm talking about rest in your day-to-day life, like head-hitting the pillow, like recovering, recuperating, physically, not just spiritually and emotionally and mentally. This is, this is the, how serious this is, that Jesus would come in and, and begin to claim that he is God. Because not only is Jesus the one, who, the one who can properly interpret the Sabbath, Jesus is the one who gave it. Jesus is the one who gives rest. 
He doesn't just offer a list of suggestions or best practices. He offers a gift, a free gift. The Jews, again, put a heavy emphasis on the Sabbath and guarded it with extreme vigilance. There are so many little laws and nitpicky things that they say. So you, you can't go, and I've mentioned this before when we've talked about Sabbath, if you've been here, but you're like, you can't look in the mirror because if you look in the mirror, you might see a gray hair and you might be tempted to pluck it out. And if you pluck out the gray hair, that's work and you violated the Sabbath. Those sorts of laws, that sort of legalism that surrounded it. Jesus was like, that's not why I gave this to you. That's not why you have this. You're not achieving anything by keeping it. It's a good gift that comes to you through me. Again, Israel's history was littered with violations of the Sabbath that God commanded them to observe. Over and over again, they broke the Sabbath laws. But something greater than the Sabbath had come. Something greater than the Sabbath had come. I don't don't know what it would be for you in your life. The thing that you put the heaviest emphasis on, the practice that you feel like in your life really, really matters. Maybe it is your work. Maybe it's your parenting. Maybe it's your education. The thing that you do over and over again, week in and week out, that you feel like really matters. Jesus is the Lord of it. For the Jews, it was the Sabbath, that practice, week in and week out. That really mattered. Jesus gave it, and he was the Lord of it. Something greater than the Sabbath is here. Jesus is God, and therefore the Sabbath was given by him. And no gift is greater than the giver. So the question is what does all this mean for us? Jesus here gives us, he doesn't do away with anything. He gives us a higher, better, more quality, more important view of the Sabbath. Christians often just throw it out. It's like, I don't know how to make sense of it. And even if you start talking about the Sabbath, then words like you're a legalist or a fundamentalist or those sorts of words just get thrown your way. If you're like, no, I'm going to set aside a day for the worship of God, oftentimes, even we get attacked. We're like, don't impose that on me. But we shouldn't throw out the Sabbath because Jesus doesn't tell the Jews to do away with their practices. Rather, what he does is he tells them to bring them within proper alignment. They needed to see Jesus as the giver of the gift, as the one who brought the rest, as the one who brought about Sabbath both in his creative work and through his redemptive work. A low view of Jesus leads to ignorance about his good gifts to us, like the Sabbath. Let me propose to you, maybe you're here this morning and you feel exhausted. You feel run down. Um, Everybody does at some point. Let me propose that why you might feel so exhausted in this moment we have a four-month-old, Sersha. She's a good sleeper. But I mentioned to Rebecca this week that I was beginning to feel like I would never feel rested again. <laughs> um, I think that might have more to do with the, the sheer volume of kids that we have. 
um, including the twins. Um, if you know us, you know that that is uh, is an exhausting endeavor. The twins are almost three, and if if you want to know how to look and feel ten years older after just three years, have twins. But what I need when I feel exhausted, it could be what you need to. Isn't a good night's sleep. It's not a better sleep schedule. Google 10 ways to get a good night's sleep, whatever. It's not just some Zeke will. But what you need is a higher view of Jesus and all that he gives. Jesus says very clearly in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me, all who labor in a heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus gives rest. School started Thursday. Soon the busyness of life will feel like it's overtaken you. Maybe it was a really busy summer where you crammed things in left and right. Friends, what you need is deeper intimacy with the Lord of the Sabbath. Get a calendar. It's nice. Write it down. Put it on the fridge. Organize your life day to day. It's not going to help. You need deeper intimacy with the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. He's the giver of rest. So what you shouldn't do is throw out the Sabbath. The Bible doesn't tell you to get rid of it. You're not immediately, good news, let me take a little bit of pressure off. You're not immediately a legalist or a fundamentalist if you like the idea of Sabbath. Men, I think one of the problems in our society that we've been fed is that if you work 24-7 around the clock, that makes you more of a man. It doesn't. If you see Jesus for who he is, the Lord of all creation, the Redeemer of God's people, you will see his gifts, which include the Sabbath, and you will regard them highly too. And since Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, that leads to some direct implications that I want to point out very quickly here for us as we move on. Friends, Jesus is God. He is the giver of all that you have and everything that you are. Jesus is the one that upholds you right now in this moment. Here are the implications. The first is this. The Sabbath is a gift and ought to be a delight. It's not a rote requirement, but it is a gift to be enjoyed. It's a gift to be enjoyed. Jesus gives rest. He doesn't demand with an angry tone. You get down there and rest. It's less like getting an unexpected bill in the mail, which I think is how Christians treat it. Like a reading, like, oh, I'm in Exodus in my Bible reading plan. Crap, I'm in 20, right? And then you think to yourself, oh, and now I have to rest, I suppose. It's less about getting, like getting an unexpected bill in the mail and more like getting a check for a million dollars. It's that good. When Jesus told his people the Ten Commandments, to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy, he was reminding them that he was their source of life. 
Friends, you need that reminder. And you need it more than once a month or once every couple of months. You need it weekly at at least and daily if possible. The book of Exodus, as time goes on, as God's people are in the wilderness, God provides manna for the people to eat in the wilderness. He provides manna. Manna literally means what is it because they didn't know what it is. But the people were told to gather it up and to not leave any for the overnight. But of course, what they didn't do is listen. And so they left it overnight and the next morning when they woke up, they found it rotted. But after the sixth day, no manna was given on the seventh because it was the Sabbath. But the manna that they had collected on the sixth day, even though from days one to two and two to three and three to four and so on and so forth, the manna would rot. On the seventh day, it didn't rot. Every other day, that which was left over would rot. But on the Sabbath, it did not rot. This is the gift of rest. It is not your efforts that sustain you. It is God. It is God who sustains you. You being sustained here this morning is a gift that God supernaturally gives to you. God supernaturally provided for the the, the Israelites in the wilderness and he supernaturally provides for you and he provides for you rest. But if we fail to see Jesus for who he is, we will fail to see the goodness of his gifts. But you may say, I don't know how, you don't know how much I have to do, right? You don't know how much I have to do today. All you're saying is I trust in my own efforts. I trust in my own efforts, not God's good gifts to sustain me. Jesus gives you rest so that he may be glorified and seen as the giver of all things. So set aside today. Friends, whatever your plans are for the rest of the day, set aside the rest of the day for the worship of God to delight in him, both individually and with your family and here with God's people. Second implication I want to draw out here is that the Sabbath ought to be observed and commemorate the works of God. This is part of what it means that the, that the Sabbath is a delight. Remember that creation shows us that rest is not idleness. Rest is not, not doing anything. It's not get, just staying in bed all day. Rest is more than that. Take time to do activities that will contribute to remembering that will contribute to seeing clearly God's creative act, the set-apartness of the day that God has given to you, the eternal life that you've been given in Jesus Christ. One of the clearest ways, and the way that is oftentimes most associated with the Sabbath, one of the clearest ways that we commemorate the day is by pressing pause on our work. Taking a day out of the office if you're a business person, out of the fields if you're a farmer, out of the classroom if you're a teacher, resting from whatever our earthly vocation is. You say, I love my job. I want to spend time there. Great. That's a gift. That's not the point, though. The point is that you ought love Jesus more and remember his mighty works. Now, Jesus shows us here, and historically, the church has believed that the works of necessity and works of mercy are valid works. This is what it means not to be idle. Jesus mercifully heals the man on the Sabbath. The man takes up his bed and walks. That's a picture of necessity, 
That was his possession. He picked it up and he walked away. Fires and crimes and emergencies don't take the day off. Things break and need attention, I understand. We should seek to show mercy to hurting people even on a day of rest. But Christians, sometimes what we tend to do is overemphasize necessity. We say things like, well, this is absolutely necessary. But we need to ask ourselves the question, is it? Ask yourself, can this wait until tomorrow? And the answer is no. Ask yourself again, can this wait until tomorrow? Poor planning and procrastination on your part doesn't make something necessary. Jesus says in Luke 14.5, he says this. This is an act of, act of necessity. Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen to a pit on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Yeah, if my son fell into a ditch, I would pick him out, right? I would do that. And if, and if my car drove into the ditch, I would call a tow truck or find somebody to help me pull it out. I get that. That is a work of necessity. But some of your oxen and some of your children seem to be falling in ditches every Sunday. It's been observed also by many others that if your ox keeps falling in the pit, maybe you should fill in the pit. Now, people start asking at this point, they start asking questions like, well, can I mow the lawn? Can I watch a football game? Can I go for a jog, etc.? Those questions just miss the point. Does going for a jog and mowing the lawn and watching a football game help you commemorate the works of God? The answer is yes, lovely, go for it. If you can, in good conscience, answer them yes, go ahead. If the answer is no, then stop doing that thing and pick up something more explicitly that helps you remember the works of God, like reading your Bible or praying or singing songs together with your family or gathering together with God's people. I think that there's a lot to say here, and I wish I had more time to unpack. But for instance, the, there, there are other implications here that we could draw. Like, for instance, uh, the Sabbath, when practiced properly, is culturally formative. I generally think that one of the ways that the church has failed to impact the culture around us is because we fail to rest. Because we just bought into the, the idea that working all of the time is what we need to do. Six days, God says, is enough. Seventh is given to you as a gift to rest. Last thing I'll mention is this, and then we'll move to the Lord's table. The Sabbath is given to strengthen faith and to exercise it. And I think this is the most important point that I can make about the Sabbath this morning. The Sabbath day is given to strengthen faith and to exercise it. A day off means you have to trust God. You're just like, can it wait until tomorrow? Yes, okay. I need to trust God that it will get done tomorrow. We struggle to trust God with one thing, I think more than anything else, and that's our time. You can say money too, but I think our time. For us here, Jamestown, North Dakota, 2021, our time is a thing that we view as our most valuable commodity that we are unwilling to trust God with most readily. Because I have so much to do. I can't set aside a whole day just to remember his works. That doesn't seem productive. That's, again, not the point. You may even be saying it's a waste of time. But we're talking about faith. We're talking about 
trusting God in all the promises that he gives to us. That God will supply all of your needs. (laughs) That God will take care of you. That everything that you need is and will be given to you. That you don't have to work nonstop around the clock to ensure that it will. To work at your vocation seven days a week is simple faithlessness. Jesus gives rest and he gives everything as well. You're not the source of what you have. You, friends, are not the source of what you have. Jesus is. To remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy is not legalism. It's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. Jesus is the only one who can give true rest. And he freely does. Friends, he is God. You are not. Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. But it is one of his gifts that he gives to us. Friends, I want you to see the joy. I want you to see the joy and the delight that you can enter into by recognizing that God gives you a day. He gives it to you. He gives you a day to rest and to reflect, to be rejuvenated, to recover, to move out into the world, to understand what you have to do in the upcoming week, to have the proper perspective on all of the situations that await you in the office tomorrow. Going in the night before isn't going to change it. God gives it to you. It is a gift. It is to bring us joy and life that we might delight in him with a great delight. So that's going to bring us to the Lord's table this morning. This is an act of remembrance as well. When Jesus speaks to his disciples, when he, when he uh, institutes this act, when they come to the table, when they pick up the bread, and when we pick up the juice and we participate in them, we remember what Jesus has done for us. We remember that Jesus is God. We remember and we proclaim Jesus' death until he returns. For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he betrayed took bread. And when he had given, given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Friends, Jesus Christ has purchased all things for you, including eternal life, life that will never end. The body broken for you should have been yours. The blood shed for you should have been yours. Jesus did it for you. Friends, you can rest today. Reflect on, commemorate, speak of this around your table at lunchtime, at dinner time. Speak of the things that Jesus has done for us. Speak of the way that he has positioned you within a church family that loves you. Speak of the way that there are, that there are gifts that come down to you that you can't even realize or recognize. God is good.
His steadfast love endures forever. Again, this is a time when we spend together as God's people. We take the elements together. If you're here this morning and you're not sure what it means to follow Jesus, if you're not sure that you fully understand what it, uh, what it means to, to, to be a Christian, this is a time to just stay in your seat, to think about what's been said this morning, to reflect on the gospel. I'd love to have a conversation with you about the gospel afterwards, if that's you. Parents, if you have kids in here this morning, Again, if they've made a credible profession of faith, if they've trusted Jesus and are following him actively, invite them to, to participate with you this morning. If that's not the case for them, just give them an opportunity to observe and then share later what this act means. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come up and, uh, and begin playing. We'll sing together. When you feel prepared in your heart to come and grab these elements, go ahead, stand up, make your way to the front. Pick up the elements. You can head back to your seat and take them or take them up here. Um, And then we'll close out our time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we thank you for the gift of rest. God, we thank you for even how practical you make it for us. You tell us to take a day. God, you give us a day. God, may we actively commemorate. God, may we actively think about the things that you have, that you have given to us today. Mainly the eternal life that comes to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, as we think about the elements that are before us today, would we see that the, all of these things are done for us and for our good. God, may we give you glory in this time as we think about, as we eat, as we drink, and as we go from this place. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.